Thank you, choir and orchestra. Trudy, I'm still amazed by his grace. I love that, and you, you did a marvelous job on it. Thank you so much. Well, today we continue our series from the Sermon on the Mount. We come to chapter number six, but let's go back and review chapter number five. What have we learned so far? In the first 12 verses of chapter five, we see the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes give to us what the Christian life is supposed to be. If you wonder what God expects from you, then read the Beatitudes, because there he describes what the Christian's life is to be. Verses 13 through 16 speaks of the Christian's influence. So as we then live out the Beatitudes, we become people of influence. We become salt in a world that is spiritually corrupt. We become light in a world that is in spiritual darkness. And then in verses 17 through 48, he speaks about the Christian and the law. How does the Christian relate to the law? You will remember that on several occasions in those verses, Jesus said, you have heard it said, but I say to you. So concerning the law, Moses gave the law, the Pharisees misinterpreted the law, and so Jesus then corrected the misinterpretation of the Pharisees. Now then we come to chapter number six, and basically chapter number six deals with living out the Christian life. You and I living out the Christian life. In the first four verses, he speaks about rewards. And what he is saying there is that as we live the Christian life, the Father sees in secret. So the Father watches the way we live our lives and he rewards us accordingly. Then we come to chapter 6, verses 5 through 15, which is the Lord's Prayer. And there he speaks to us about praying. Now, prayer was very important to the Jews. In fact, Barclay wrote, the only regret of the rabbis was that it was not possible to pray all day long. So the rabbis and the Jewish people believe very strongly in prayer. The problem, however, is that prayer had become a formal ritual without power or meaning. The Jews had 18 prayers that they prayed three times a day. So it was a ritual that they were performing. So it is to that that Jesus addresses the subject of prayer. Take your Bibles, turn with me. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. And when you pray, you are not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose they will be heard for their many words. 
Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Jesus begins in verse number 5 by saying, when you pray. It is an assumption that you will pray. If you are a Christian, that you will pray. So he says, when you pray. Now, ladies and gentlemen, there are two kinds of prayer. There is acceptable prayer and there is unacceptable prayer. We see the unacceptable in verse number 5. And when you pray, you are not to be as the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. What is it that constitutes an unacceptable prayer? It is when it is hypocritical. And what causes prayer to be hypocritical? When it focuses on the one who is praying. You'll notice that he says they pray to be seen by men. They pray to be seen by men. You see, if our prayer is designed to focus attention on me, then it is hypocritical, thus it is unacceptable. The word seen that is used there is the word from which we get the word theater, and it means to gaze upon. So then when he's talking about prayer that is hypocritical, he is talking about prayer that is designed to draw attention to the one who is praying. The Pharisees loved to be at the busiest intersection in the community when the, prayer, when the call to prayer came. So when the call to prayer came, they wanted to be in the middle of the intersection so everyone could see them praying. When they prayed, they would stand, their heads bowed, and their hands lifted so everyone could see how spiritual they were. So their prayer then was designed to call attention to themselves. Now you'll notice in verse 5, verse number 5, verse uh, part B, he says, truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. What did they want? They wanted to be seen. And Jesus said, and that's what they got. Nothing else. They prayed, but the only thing they received was they were seen. That's what they wanted. That's what they got. That is a hypocritical prayer. But then the prayer itself can also be hypocritical, thus unacceptable. So how can a prayer be hypocritical? Look at verse number 7. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, 
for they suppose they will be heard for their many words. Now understand, Jesus is not condemning repetition. He is condemning meaningless repetition. For instance, Augustine prayed all night, O Lord, may I know Thee, may I know myself. He prayed that again and again and again, all night long, the same thing. O Lord, that I may know Thee, that I may know myself. You recall also that when Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane, that He asked three times that the cup be removed. That's repetition. You remember that the Apostle Paul prayed three times asking that the thorn be removed. That is repetition. Barclay said, when a man begins to think more of how he is praying than of what he is praying, his prayer dies upon his lips. You see, the problem is, is that our prayers can become a ritual without power, without meaning. Long ago, I heard the story about a little church, and they had prayer meeting on Wednesday night. There was one old saint, and every Wednesday night he prayed the same prayer. Oh, Lord, remove the cobwebs of sin from our lives. The next Wednesday night, prayed the same prayer. Oh, Lord, remove the cobwebs of sin from our lives. He prayed that every Wednesday night. Finally, there was another old man got up and said, Oh, God, kill the spider. <laughs> Sometimes our prayers are unacceptable because they are simply meaningless repetition. We are saying something that has become a ritual. So he talks about unacceptable prayer, and then he talks about acceptable prayer in verse number 6. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, and when you have shut your door... Pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. Let me make three suggestions to you about prayer. First of all, there needs to be solitude. D.L. Moody said, a man who prays long in public probably prays short in private. There needs to be solitude, you and the Lord, that you spend time with Him. I had a friend years ago, and his little daughter had gotten saved, and so she was saying the blessing before the meal, and, and so she mumbled something and, and prayed, asking God's blessings on it, and Jack said, uh, I didn't understand the words you said. She said, I wasn't talking to you. <laughs> there needs to be solitude. You need to spend time with the Lord, just you, into your inner room. Go into your inner room and spend time with the Lord. It needs to be a time of worship, that you worship the Lord. I don't know about you, but I, 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 and I, and I, I admire those people who are so expressive and so forth in their worship. I, that's not me. I'm not that way so much. But when it's just me and the Lord, I can be far more expressive in my worship. You see, prayer needs to be worship. Billy Graham said, prayer is more than verbally filling in some requisition blank. It's fellowship with God. So I would say to you that there needs to be solitude. You need to spend some time with the Lord, just you. It needs to be a time of worship. 
and you can pray in confidence. Did you notice there in verse number eight where he says, do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. We approach God believing that he can and that he will meet our needs. William Ward wrote, wonderful things can happen to us when we live expectantly, believe confidently, and pray affirmatively. When you pray, there's acceptable prayer, there's unacceptable prayer. Then in verse number nine, he says, pray then in, in this way. Now, actually, I know we call this the Lord's Prayer. Actually, it is a model. It is a model for your praying. There are three part, parts to it. There's an invocation, there are petitions, and there's a doxology. So he has given to us a model for praying. Now, we look first of all at the invocation in verse number 9. Pray then in this way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So, we begin by invoking God, our Father. God is the creator of all. The Bible says in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So we understand then that God is the creator of all. That he created you, he created all. But he is the father of those who have been born into his family. I hear people all the time saying that, well, we are all children of God. No, we are all the creation of God. But he is the father of those who have been born into his family. He is our father. He loves us. Every time I begin to wonder if God really loves me because there's no reason for him to, I remember Calvary. In fact, when we go to Israel and we always go to Golgotha and I stand there and I look at that and I am reminded of God's love for me that he demonstrated his love for me and that while I was yet sinner he gave his life on the cross my friend if you doubt whether or not God loves you then look to the cross he is our father he loves us he is our father he protects us because a father's duty is to protect his family. He is our father. He provides for us. Can you think of those times when God has provided for you? Gosh, there are so many times in my life. In fact, I was praying this morning, and I just, I just remembered. But when I was praying this morning, I, I read a book years ago. It was one of the things that, that I read about you know, from Oral Roberts. He had written a book. He said, it was a great day for me when I realized that God was the source for my needs, not the church, not anyone else. God is the source for my needs. He's my father. He provides for me. He comforts us. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you, we find comfort in the Lord during troubled times. So there's the invocation. Our Father who art in heaven. That gives great comfort to me when I pray. I know that God is God. But he's my Father. And hopefully that gives great comfort to you as well and encouragement. We come to our Father. Then there are the petitions. There are six petitions 
in the prayer, three towards God and three towards man. The first is, Hallowed be thy name. Barclay wrote, Hallowed is the word which is usually translated holy, but the basic meaning of hallowed is different or separate. A thing which is hallowed is different from other things. So we reverence his name because his name is different. He is the Lord God Almighty. We hallowed his name. That means that we don't take it lightly. We don't use it profanely, nor do we use it falsely. We reverence his name. We reverence his day because it's different. Sunday is not a holiday, it's a holy day. I never, not since I've been serious about the Lord, I, you know, can, I've not always been there, but I don't understand those people who say that they are Christians and they know the Lord, but they don't consider Sunday to be anything special. I think it is. You see, Sunday is not the only thing that is important, but what it says is, I recognize that every day belongs to God. So we reverence His day because it's different. We reverence His word because it is different. John Bassanio said the Bible is not the book of the month, it's the book of the ages. And it is, it is the word of God. So we reverence it because it is different. We reverence his church because it's different. The church is not another civic club. It's not, not another organization to which we belong. So my friend, if you're a Christian, you ought to be involved in the body of Christ. You ought to be a part of it. You ought to be involved in it. You ought to support it. You ought to take care of it because it's different. So the first petition towards God is, hallowed be thy name, the second in verse number 10, Thy kingdom come. Jesus presented the kingdom as past, present, and future. It is past in that when he came to this earth, the kingdom of God had come. It is present in that when you invited Christ into your heart, then the kingdom of God had come into your life. It is future because when Jesus comes back and establishes kingdom on earth, then his kingdom has come. So it is past, present, and future. Thy kingdom come. He goes on in verse number 10, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That literally is translated, Thy will be done on earth as it is being done in heaven. His will is being done in heaven. Our prayer is, God, we want your will done on earth. We want you to do your will here. So that is a part of our prayer. Now, there are three petitions towards God, then there are three petitions towards man. The petitions are progressive. They begin with the physical and they go to the spiritual. The first is in verse number 11. Give us this day our daily bread. There has been a lot of interest in that word daily that is used there because it was found nowhere else. In fact, Origen believed that Matthew had made the word up because it's not found anywhere else. And not too many years ago, the word was discovered on an ancient papyrus. It turned out to be nothing spiritual. 
It was a woman's shopping list. That's what the word daily means. I think that's so important. Because it means that we petition God to meet my needs today, whatever they are. Physical needs. Did you know you can pray about physical needs? Whatever your physical needs are. That's a part of meeting your daily needs. When we were in our first little church, part-time church, I had come to the place where I only had one suit that I could wear at all. Not because I'd gotten that fat. I'm just talking about because it was worn out. And I remember one Sunday, Linda told me, she said, Wendell, when people come forward, don't kneel with them to pray. And I said, why? She said, because the seat is worn out of your suit. So she prayed. She asked the Lord to uh, provide me with a suit. And John Bassanio called me. I went over and he said, Wendell, I want to give you a suit. In fact, he said, I am, he had five that he gave me, five suits. She prayed for one, I got five. Now, I gave two of them to another preacher who was in about the same condition I was, but I kept most of them. I kept three of them and I gave him two. But the thing is, is that we can pray about our daily needs, your physical needs, whatever they are. And you'll notice also, he says in verse number 11, give us this day. In other words, we live today. We live today trusting God for our needs. We live today trusting God for tomorrow. But we live this day. Now that doesn't mean, listen, that does not mean that we live irresponsibly. There are some people, you know, they're very irresponsible and they say, well, I'm just trusting the Lord. God is not I don't think he is inclined to bail us out for our irresponsibility. The Bible says in Proverbs 6, Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief officer or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. Okay, so... We live today trusting the Lord for our needs, but that does not mean that we can live irresponsibly. It also reminds us of our dependence on God. Give us this day our daily bread. So we are dependent upon the Lord. It is a reminder to us of our dependence, but it also is a reminder of our participation with God. It works like this. We pray for bread God gives us seed. We plant the seed. He gives us wheat. We take the wheat and bake it into bread. See, we participate with God. We are dependent upon God, but we participate with God. It also teaches us about concern for others. Did you notice that it says not give give me my daily bread, but give us our daily bread? So we have concern for others. So there's the daily bread. The second petition is in verse number 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now that reminds us of our condition. What is it that we are sinful? We're all sinful. I know you look nice, but you're a bunch of sinners. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All right? I am a sinner who has been forgiven, thus I am to be forgiving. 
That's the reason I read verses 14 and 15 because I think they are connected to the prayer. Look at that. For if you forgive men for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote, if you are refusing forgiveness to anybody, I suggest that you have never been forgiven. Forgiveness is to be universal. We are to forgive anyone, anywhere, for anything. I don't like it either. It is to be unconditional, not if, when, or because. It is unconditional. It is unilateral. We forgive even if they don't. Jesus forgave those who crucified him. Stephen forgave those who stoned him. So there's forgiveness. And then there's temptation in verse number 13, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now the Pope recently has raised the question about what this means. Now we know that God is not tempted and he does not tempt us because the Bible says in James 1.13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God for God cannot be tempted by evil and he himself does not tempt anyone. Well, okay, so what does that mean? Lead us not into temptation. What does it mean? Albert Barnes wrote, the word tempt in the original means to try, to endeavor, to attempt to do a thing, then to try the nature of the thing as metals by fire, then to test moral qualities by trying them to see how they will endure. So what he's talking about then is a test, about testing us so we will know how we're coming along. It's not tempting us to do evil, but it is testing us so we will know how we're doing. So how do we best pass the test? Through prayer. We, we pray, lead us not into temptation. Something else that I would add to that, if you want to, um, if you want to pass that test, self-respect. You know, I think that a lot of times we fall into sin because of a lack of self-respect. If you have respect for yourself, you have respect for your family, you have respect for the way you were brought up and the teachings you received, then I think that you are going to pass a lot of these tests. Accept responsibility for your actions. Today we live at a time when every, everyone is a victim. I don't know how that happens. Everyone is a victim. You, my friend, there are some victims, but most of us are not victims. We are responsible for our lives and for our actions. And then understanding that the presence of Christ is with us. Greater is he who is within than he who is of the world. So there is the invocation, the petitions, and then the doxology. It began in praise, hallowed be thy name. And it ends in praise, verse number 13, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let me conclude.
God stands ready to answer prayer. If you're here and you're not a believer, you're not a Christian, you have not committed your life to the Lord, the Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you call on the name of the Lord and you mean it, you repent of sin, you trust Christ, the Bible says that God will answer that prayer, you will be saved. What about if you are a Christian but you're in sin? You're not glorifying the Lord. He's ready to answer that prayer. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. God is ready to answer prayer if it comes from a heart of sincerity. Our Father, we thank you that you are a loving God, that you are our Father. I thank you that we can come to you, and Lord, I just lift up these to you who have never come to know Christ that they would. I pray for those Christians who are in sin and they need to be restored to fellowship, that today they would repent and return, that they might have once again the joy of their salvation. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Just a moment, we're going to stand, extend an invitation, the choir will sing. If you've never trusted Christ, come receive Him today. If you're looking for a church home, our doors open, we'd love to have you. Stand with me, please, as you stand. They sing, you come, I'll greet you as you do. seated.